continue our study tonight, uh, The Danger is Real. This is part three, and uh, Matthew chapter seven tonight, continuing our study on this. <clears throat> there was a guy, Robert Bork, in his book, Slouching Towards Gomorrah. And uh, he, in this state, in the book, I don't, I don't know anything about him, I saw this statement, but he says, if a church changes doctrine and structure to follow its members' views, it is difficult to see the value of that church and its religion. Religions must claim to be true in, in their essentials to uphold principles that are universal and eternal. No church that panders to the zeitgeist deserves respect. And very shortly, you will not get respect except from those who find it politically useful, and that is less respect than disguised contempt. And quotes he writes. And so we've been continuing our study here uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Would you follow along with me? Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, it's been quite a study on these false prophets and, and their pernicious and stealthy ways. I've dealt with holiness. I've dealt with a whole bunch of different topics. And the Lord is serious about protecting his own. He's serious about providing and feeding them. But false doctrine will also cause you to die to your will for the will of man's theology or to stay in your rebellion and fail to die to Christ. Would you turn with me to Matt, excuse me, John chapter 12, verse 24? The Bible, Jesus has called us to die to ourselves. And in this idea of a false prophet, you are not dying to yourself. You are in fact, as, as, we will, as you'll look in Jeremiah and other passages of Scripture, you will be following the ways of man that may feel good, giving you what you want to hear. But what you may want to hear is not necessarily what you need to hear. If you go to the doctor... And the doctor tells you, everything is fine. And you're saying, doctor, I've been in excruciating pain. Doctor, I'm throwing up. I've got major problems, all sorts of issues uh, in my body. He said, oh, you're fine. You're thinking, I'm not fine. There's a real problem. Now, for the immediate, you, you know, sometimes like, oh, he says, I'm fine. It'll be okay. I'll get over it. It's just a common cold. How many people have been told it's a common cold only to have something much more serious? And maybe even a few more days thereafter, maybe a loved one goes into eternity. The words might seem good for the moment, but the consequences are quite catastrophic. In John chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible tells us, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it in the life eternal. What is Jesus talking about here? He says, listen, you've got to die to your will. It's not the will of a man. <clears throat> your will is to die to Christ. You are to say, listen, Lord, Lord, not listen, Lord, but Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you've called me to do. Because I'm understanding that he has a perfect plan for my life. He has ideas and desires that he wants to do with me. The Christian life is not about what you think. It's not about what I want to do. It is about a steadfast attachment to Christ. 
not tradition and necessarily family attachments. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He is calling us to a self-denial for the, for the following him. When I get married and I'm on the, the altar, with, when I was on the altar with my wife, and I said I do, I'm dying to myself and saying I'm going to take care of her. I want to help her and encourage her and, and lead her and guide her and love her and protect her and nourish her. I'm dying to myself for the responsibility of caring for my wife. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I died for you and I want you to follow me. No matter what your emotional attachment is to a particular ministry or a pastor, if the ministry is not rooted in sound doc, doctrinal soundness, then you have a trajectory, spiritually speaking, that is unsatisfactory to our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we not allow our attachments to distract us or detour us from the direction we need to go. Let's pray, and we'll continue our study this evening. Our Father, I want to thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you'd help me tonight as I once again preach your holy word. And God, I need your, I need your help. I need your help upon every thought, every word that's spoken. Lord, I pray you'd help me to speak it in gentleness and kindness. Uh, Father, these are serious issues. Lord, sometimes it can come across wrong. But I pray, Father, that you'd be glorified. We lift up this evening before you. Thank you for being our gracious Redeemer. And God, you'll do a work and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. We've talked about last week a demand for qualification, the position of attention, the danger is real, the danger of false prophets, a demand for reproof that a pastor has called, you know, and, and Jesus talked about a hireling. A hireling flees when the wolves come. A hireling flees when the ministry gets hard. And he also talked about reproving, naming names. Now I want you to understand several things here. We'll look at Judges 5, chapter 17. You can turn there while I'm speaking here if you're able to. Judges chapter 17. We'll be in a couple of verses here in Judges 17. But the high qualifications of service. As I mentioned this morning, as I'm dealing with marriage in the morning service, that God is for all. If, if you have a desire to be with uh, another, if a man desires to be with a woman, he wants you to be married. If a woman to be with a man, to be married. But God is always very ordered and structured. In the same way, in the ministry, God has qualifications for service. It's not just anyone can do the job. God has qualifications. And it's not the qualifications that man may establish. It's the qualifications that God establishes. If someone is to do the calling of the ministry, it is because there's God's calling, there's God's qualifications, there's, there's the church's endorsement of it, and, but God is very orderly. When he established the priests, God had an order and qualifications for that. When he established very apostles, he had an order upon what is an apostle and how to be an apostle, how to be a pastor. And I'm going to talk about those, hopefully, tonight. But I want us to understand we are in a day and age where people think, just because I feel like it, or I had a dream, or I had a vision, or I had something, this means that I need to be in this particular position. 
when that person might have clear features or clear characteristics that stand in contrast to the qualifications that God establishes. I can go over to Walmart and tell them I'm now, I am now the supervisor of Walmart. And they'll look at me like I'm crazy and say, get out of this store. You have to, you have to get to the position of earning the respect and being elevated. And in Judges chapter 17, the if you want to think about judges, it's every, judges really could be summarized with the idea that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I'm going to do what I think is right for me. And I don't need anyone telling me otherwise. It is a rebellious culture, a rebellious people that are not willing to submit to God's ways. In Judges chapter 17, verse 5, the Bible tells us, And the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Micah said, you know what? I want you to be a priest, so you're a priest. Now look with me verse 12. And Micah consecrated the Levite, the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in, his, was in the house of Micah. You're my priest because I want you to be. God does not deal in such a flippant, emotionally laden fashion. The Lord spoke to Moses commanding and filling and the filling for office in Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. Look with me here. In the book of Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. Because in the establishment of this man as his priest, he is bypassing the very order and structure that God has created, that God has established. Because if we can do whatever feels good or whatever I think is good, then Christianity is a mess. Your children in your home may not feel like cleaning up after they make a big mess. You may not feel like cleaning up after a big mess. You may not feel like when you wake up in the morning, I need to go take a shower, get cleaned up for the day. But if you do that for several days, you're going to, you know, as Jesus said, you know, as they said when Lazarus came out, behold, he stinketh. There's an order and structure to doing things. And if we want to do it just our way, my way, Christianity is now no longer with God at the helm. It's with each person at the helm establishing what is right and what is wrong. And then there's no longer a solid foundation. And Christianity becomes according to the dictates of man. Now man is the exalted authority, not God. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 3, And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me the priest's office. They had to be of Aaron and his sons with him that were to be appointed as the priests. Now, there were no requirements to being a priest of idols. 
In 1 Kings 12, 31, And he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. When Jeroboam took over, when Israel, they had all 12 tribes, Here's uh, King Saul, King David. David assumes role, a king over all 12 tribes of Israel. He's king. He dies. Solomon comes. He's king. Uh, Solomon's very hard on the people, high taxation. The, then Re, Jer, uh, Rehoboam comes. The people said, please, make things easier. Lower our taxes. Hallelujah on that one. Amen. And, uh, but anyways, <clears throat> then he said no. He listened to his friends. His friends said, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to, my father, you know, he whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I'm going to make your life terrible. I mean, he just puts down the iron fist. The people said, forget you. I'm out of here. Jeroboam takes 10 tribes and the two tribes, Judah and uh, Benjamin, end up staying with Rehoboam. The 10 tribes, they are under Jeroboam. Jeroboam doesn't want the people to go back to Jerusalem and unite the kingdom, so he sets up the altars and idols to Baal. It said he made priests of the lowest of the people. Hey, oh, hey, you're a good contributor to me. I like you. You're a priest. Uh, I like your priest. It was a willy-nilly, select whatever you want, whatever feels good. In 1 Kings 13, 33, after this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. So here are these people being elevated to a religious authority, but they're only elevated by man. They're never elevated by God. Because they're elevated to a position that God is not in control. 2 Kings chapter 17, very similar. In 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, For the Levites left their suburbs and their possession and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office in the Lord. It was only to be the Levites. For the Levites were to be consecrated in the Lord. And he ordained him priests for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which he had made. Jeroboam, again... He establishes people in religious authority outside of the structure that God has made. I'm getting to the qualifications of a, of a priest. I haven't got there yet. Number one, they had to be of a Levite. But here are some marks. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21. As we look at this, I'm going to give you some modern day uh, equivalents of how if you follow what God has established in the word of God if this rule is violated then these individuals are no longer valid belief systems Deuteronomy 18 gives us a very clear indication of a false prophet one of them there's many of them the first thing is, if a prophet makes a prediction that does not come true, true or false, false prophet, a failure of a prophecy to come to pass would designate a false prophet. It's not that they messed up, because they're making a prophecy speaking on behalf of God, thus saith the Lord, this will happen. And there are numbers of cults, and quote-unquote Christian organizations 
whose founders have made prophecies that did not come true. The very foundation of these cults is faulty because they make prophecies that don't come to pass. Now they twist these prophecies and, and try to make it so they don't look so bad, look so foolish. But in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21, And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Verse 22 of Deuteronomy 18, When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Can I give you several of these that are of their modern day? They call themselves Christian. The first is the Seventh-day Adventists of our modern day, founded by Ellen G. White. In her book, The Early Writings, she says, Then I was pointed to some who are in the great air of believing that it is their duty to go to old Jerusalem and think they have a work to do there before the Lord comes. I saw that Satan had greatly deceived some in this thing. I also saw that old Jerusalem never would be built up. And Satan was doing his utmost to lead the minds of the children of the Lord into these things now in, in the gathering time. She's saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Israel because Jerusalem won't be built up. This prophecy has not come true. Because the nation of Israel was born, rebirthed in 1948, and old Jerusalem has been greatly built up. Prophecy number one. She had another one, her, first, her fifth one, was Adventists living in 1856 will be alive to see Jesus return. We're still not there. We haven't seen Jesus return yet. You think about the Jehovah's Witnesses, another group of people. In almost all the predictions for 1878, 1881, 1914, 1918, and 1925, they would make about Christ coming again on those particular years. They reinterpreted them as a confirmation of the eschatological framework. That word eschatology means the study of end times. Eschatos in Greek is last. Tology, right, is study. So study of last things. So the study of last things framework of the Bible student movement and Jehovah's Witnesses, with many of the predicted events viewing, viewed as having taken place invisibly. That's a convenient way to summarize this. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormonism. Joseph Smith made many prophecies. Christ would return in 1890 and 91. He also made another statement that Zion, or Independence, Missouri, could not fall. But that failed because the Mormons were driven out of there. And Joseph Smith was also involved in, in folk magic. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13 this evening. Now, as I'm mentioning these false prophecies, I'm, I'm not stating that we're any better than anyone. But as I stated at the onset of this sermon, if a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it bringeth forth fruit. Because it's dying to itself in the ground, in the fertile uh, soil of the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing Christ to bring fruit in your life. If you follow the, a theology that is not rooted in Christ, a corn of wheat can die. 
but it is not in fertile soil, and it will still be dead. It is the soil of our spiritual lives that determines the spiritual fruit that we produce. First Corinthians, excuse me, Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass wherever he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you. To know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He must not lead someone to false gods. A false prophet, or excuse me, someone of the Lord, a prophet, cannot lead someone to false gods. Now, let me read several of these things, and I'll tell you after I read them, the problem with this particular direction. Again, as I'm speaking here, I'm not... We can get attached. And, and there's a lot of people I know in these particular belief systems, and they're very kind, caring people, so it doesn't have... I'm not determining, oh, they're evil. According to man, if I look... They're very kind. It's not a determination of I'm better or they're better. I'm, that's not where I'm at. But we want to plant ourselves in soil that is dead to myself and alive to Christ. This is the fundamental uh, foundation of what we're looking at. Let me read one statement of a particular church. The church to whom the transmission and interpretation of Revelation are entrusted does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scripture alone. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. What they're elevating is they're saying tradition and scripture are equal. But Jesus said in Matthew 15, 3, but he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? It's the word of God that always supersedes tradition. Because when tradition and the word of God are equal, then man is going back to the beginning of the Garden of Eden and man is being made as a God where his traditions are now on the same level as God. That statement I read was from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 82. Here's another one. The specific precepts of the natural law because their observance demanded by the Creator is necessary for salvation. Or here's another one. The Decalogue contains a privileged expression of the natural law. It is made known to us by divine revelation and by human reason. Going on, number 2068, CCC, Catechism of the Catholic Church, so that all men may attain salvation through faith, baptism, and the observance of the commandments. Look with me at Galatians chapter 3 on this. If someone's leading us in this path, so, in all that I'm going through, I, I'm not, it's not, I'm trying to tell you it's, I'm better. I'm not better. But I'm saying there is, there has to be a standard that is not rooted in my emotions. Because the moment it's rooted in my emotions and it's not significantly upon truth, then God is no longer the authority. 
Galatians chapter 3, what I just read for you is saying that baptism, faith, and the observance, meaning good works of the Ten Commandments, that'll make you a Christian. How, what does the Bible say about this? Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I want to ask you a question. Are you perfect? You'd say none of us are perfect. Correct. None of us are perfect. I'm not. I know. I definitely know I'm not. But he says, you, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things. You ha- in order to, to be perfect before God, you have to follow the law perfectly, never messing up one time. Uh-oh, we're all in trouble. In verse 11, but that no man is justified. That word justified is if you're standing before a judge, that judge says you have no charges against you. You're totally, all your charges are wiped out. Justified, right? Just as if I never sinned. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. If I'm trying to live by, by the law, and I'm trying to be perfect, and I'm trying to do enough good works, and I'm trying to do enough, and I'm trying to be kind here, and I'm trying to do this, it's going to be a heavy burden to bear on you. I mean, you're going to think, I hope I've done enough. You know what? That's a very discouraging place to be if you're thinking, I'm trying to do enough and, and it's just too hard and I can't do it. it, it's, it you're correct. It is very, it's impossible. And it's very discouraging and it's going to pull your heart down. And it, I mean, <sighs> that the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And, and the truth here is, and they also say another thing, the sacrament of penance is necessary for salvation for those who have fallen after baptism, just as baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not yet been reborn. Galatians 2.16 is very similar, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You can't be perfect. I can't be perfect. But it says, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Another statement that is made is Mary is the mediatrix. It says, therefore, the blessed virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix. She's a mediator. But I want to tell you, look with me at 1 Timothy 2.5. What does the Bible say about this? If a prophet is leading us to a false god, a false idol, a false idol is something that is not consistent with God's word here. Putting our devotion in someone or something that is not God. And again, I'm not saying, (laughs) from a human standpoint, I am no better. But there has to be a standard of what is right and what is wrong. And that standard was established by the God who made this world. Now, what what does Jesus say about a mediator? Can Mary be a mediator between us? 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So to make Mary a mediator is to uproot 
to upthrone Christ from his position of authority. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside the saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. They're saying Mary brings us the gifts of eternal salvation. And then they also go on to say, You, Mary, conceive the living God, and by your prayers will deliver our souls from death. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. The wonderful thing about Christianity is that I can never do enough. I simply have to just accept what Jesus did for me on that cross as a gift. I don't need Mary. I don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor to get to God. You can go directly to the Almighty who has called you. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, the Bible tells us, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal life. All I need is Jesus. Several other things that we find in regards to a prophet, his going forth from this, his message must line up with the Bible, Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, a prophet's teaching has to be in line with Scripture. Jeremiah 23.22, he must seek to turn people from sin, not to a moral standard. Because if you get people just to follow a moral standard, of the Bible, but you don't get them to turn from sin. It's not an issue of immoral and moral. It's an issue of I have violated the boundaries that God has set for my safety. And in the violation of these standards, that's where the transgression, that's where the offenses happen. If I come up to you and and I'm all nice to you, but behind your back I'm stealing money from you, you're thinking, what a scoundrel! I'm I'm really nice to you. I mean, you might say, wow, he's such a nice guy, but behind the back, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, pilfering money off of you. If I get you just to follow a moral standard, you still haven't dealt with the heart issue. Jeremiah 23, 22, but if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then should they have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Another thing, as we looked in Scripture, a prophet must bring forth good fruits in line with the Bible. Actions that are commensurate with what the Scripture says. Good fruits. He must not teach heresy, 2 Peter 2.1. He is not ordained of the order and strictness of God's law. You can't make a priest of the lowest of the people. There's a standard. And a, a false prophet will also get you to follow away towards wealth, health, and to make money off of you. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, the Bible tells us, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, 
who privily, I mean pri like privately, right, secretly, bring, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift, swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, right, just really nice flowery words, make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. Through covetous, here's preachers, they're preaching because, man, they can sell the books, they can do all this, and they can make money off of their listeners. I mean, it's merchandising, as he said. You are a commodity to get money off of. Buy this man's books, buy this woman's books, buy this man or woman's videos, attend his or her conferences. If you do it their way, you'll financially benefit. Now, let me get a little bit more specific here. God gives a qualification for someone to enter the ministry. Priests, apostles, pastor, deacon, etc. I want to look at a couple passages for you. Leviticus chapter 21 gives us the qualifications of a priest. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 1. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 1. Number one, and the Lord said unto Moses, speaking to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and saying to them, there shall none be defiled for the dead among his people. They're not to be touching dead bodies. That's what they said. A priest is not to touch a dead body. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 5, they shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. He doesn't want them making tattoos, right? cuttings or other things. No baldness upon their head. Verse 5, Right? Talks about not shaving off the corner of their beard. Verse 6, They shall be holy unto their God, and not profane the name of their God, for the offerings of the Lord made by fire. They're to be holy. They're not to profane the Lord's name. Means don't make, don't in your actions bring God's name down because everyone's like, oh, well, that's God. I'll, hey, I'll follow him. He's like everyone else. Right? Profane means to make common. Verse 7, they shall not, a priest, thou shalt not take a wife that is a whore or profane, neither shall they take a woman, put away from her husband, for he is holy and is God. This is a, now, we don't have priests anymore. But a priest in the Jewish system was not to marry a woman who had had relations outside of marriage or profane. In this sense, you know, just living very worldly. Neither shall they take a woman put away from... They're not to marry a divorced woman. That's what God said for the priests of the Jewish times. Verse 9. And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father, she shall be burnt with fire. If, if a priest had a daughter who was immoral, it disqualifies him. Verse 10, and he that is the high priest among his people upon whose head the anointing oil was poured and that is consecrated to put on the garment shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. He's not to, to, to tear his clothes like you would in sadness. Verse 13, going forth, he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or divorced woman or profane or an harlot, these shall he not take. But he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Neither shall he profane his seed among his people, for I, the Lord, do sanctify him. All I, I'm just reading through these 
to let you know, just get us the mindset. God is structured and God has prerequisites. That's the only reason why I'm going through this. You're like, why are we going through all these things? God is structured and God has established the requirements. Verse 18, none with a blemish, blind, lame, flat nose, or any superfluous, anything superfluous could be a priest. Verses 19 and 20, no one with a broken foot, broken hand, crooked back, dwarf, blemish an eye, scurvy, be scabbed, or have his stones broken. That, the stones broken would refer to a man uh, and his reproductive parts. Uh, verse 21, no man with a blemish of the seed of Aaron shall offer an offering to the Lord. I want to ask you here, do you think God's specific? Do you think God has a, a strictness about what he wants? Here's another one. Let's come to the qualifications of an apostle. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The question is, and, and some might ask, do we have apostles today? We'll see. I'll show you what the Bible says. In Matthew 16, 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus created the institution of the local church. And uh, chapter 24, verse 5, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, which will deceive many, will have a lot, many prophets. I've dealt with that. The prophets will prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, and a thing of not in the seat of heart. We understand, as I've dealt with in previous uh, sermons, that there's going to be a lot of false prophets. Now, <clears throat> let's look at me at Acts chapter 1, verse 20. I will not get through this tonight on this particular, on the apostles. There's, there's a lot here. Because, in short, the answer is no, we do not have apostles. If someone calls them apostle, they are a false teacher. In Acts chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible tells us, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men? Now, verse 20 um, is talking about uh, Judas. Judas would want it, went out and hung himself, okay? And <clears throat> he'd hung himself and then burst himself on a, a sword, and it's a gruesome scene. You can read a, the verses above that. <laughs> I don't want to go into that tonight. Verse 21, Wherefore these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So in order, they're saying, in order for them to be a prophet, or excuse me, an apostle, they have to have seen the Lord Jesus from the baptism of John to the resurrection. Now, this is what he said. Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? In Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, going a little bit further in Acts chapter 8, Now, there's a man, Simon, who was self-proclaimed that he was some great one. You can't just call yourself an apostle because you have a vision or a dream. God was specific here in Acts chapter 1 on the qualifications of what is an apostle. 
In Acts chapter 8, verse 9, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God, and to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. He did miracles. He bewitched the people by his magic. He went out, he saw that he was some great one. Even the people regarded him as having great power of God. So you can have power and call yourself of God, but it doesn't mean you're of God just because you have some powers. In this case of Simon, he was definitely not of God. He was saved, or he was made a profession of faith, he was baptized, a member of the church, and then he wanted, you know, he asked Peter, can I buy the power off of you? We have a term for that now called simony, where you're trying to buy some spiritual power of God. Now look with me at something else, Ephesians chapter 2. If people might say, well, okay, I, I can see Acts chapter 1, but maybe we still have apostles today. Ephesians chapter 2 very clearly tells us on this. I'm going to ask you, when you're building a building, do you want the building to always stay at the foundation, the concrete footings, the studs? Do you want your building to stay at the studs? I mean, if we're going to build a church and you have the foundation, do you want it to stay at the studs? I mean, you, you have the concrete footing, you begin to put up your walls. Is that where you want your building to stay? You would say, no, that's silly. Let's, look, let's think about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible tells us. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the, faint, the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So who's the foundation? Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the one that sets that whole building, the institution of the local church. The apostles and prophets are the, the foundation, the very beginning. But we don't want to stay at the foundation. We want to build a building. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You don't want to stay at the foundation. You want to build a building. And there's a lot more I can go, but uh, let's look at, man, I just got into one that's pretty, I don't know if, I don't need to be confusing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to have to draw this to a close here. Because I still have quite a bit to go through on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. I am become a fool in glorying, ye have compelled me, for I to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly, what does he say? Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. In all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. He makes a statement, they were seen among you. You did see them. Past tense. We also understand Revelation 21, 14 and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, then the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Twelve apostles. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking. Jesus hand-selected his apostles. And in order, in the replacements, had to have been there, seen the risen Christ, as was made known in Acts chapter 1. As I'm going through this series, and, and you might be saying, I'm not trying to belabor it, but I want us to be so clear in our mind, our God is structured and orderly and disciplined. 
It's not just what I feel. It's not just what I think. There is a solid reasoning for the way God works. And if we begin to act and think upon what I believe the Bible says, not what the Bible says, but I begin to put it upon my thinking, then once again we've elevated man and fallen into the trap that Satan said, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The danger is real. And I, my desire for you, my desire for me, is to be in soil that we will grow as with a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies. When you put a seed into the ground, essentially the seed dies, it's in the ground, but that seed comes back and brings forth life. But if that seed goes into toxic soil, it's dead. But it very well may not bring life. I don't know if some seeds may bring life in toxic soil or not. But in this case, spiritually speaking, if you go into a doctrinal system that is separate from Christ, we go into a system where you will not grow. You can see particular things happening for a time. But the power and the presence of God, the peace of God in your life will be missing. As we come to the invitation this evening, I want to just challenge you, and I, I know I've got a ton here on the apostles. I probably shouldn't have started that. I want you to be so, we think about God, His holiness, everything He does is for a purpose for us to help us. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward for our invitation this evening. But as I've just gone through particular things, and we're going to be going through a lot more on these apostles and why we do not have apostles today. People can call themselves an apostle, but they are false prophets, they're false teachers, they are not true to the Bible. They can say good things. But if they call themselves an apostle, they are not. Because they're not consistent with Scripture. And I'll, I'll give more on that. Because the foundation has already been laid by Jesus Christ. As we consider these truths this evening, may we just have an appreciation that God is orderly, He's structured, He's disciplined, and He has a plan. And may we just say, Lord, I am so thankful that You've given us the instructions and wisdom how to not fall prey, to put ourselves in soil where we can grow. And so as the music plays this evening, number one, if you're going to be in that soil and dead to your will, dead to your, your desires and say, God, I want yours. It's not what I'm thinking. It's what God wants for your life. I don't, I'm not God. I don't know what God wants for your life. But I know, first of all, one thing, I do know this absolutely that God's desire for you is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's not following a system of religion and system of tradition. He wants you to follow the eternal Word of God. By accepting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins, recognizing I could never do enough for God to be pleased with me. Because the moment I think I'm doing that, I'm rejecting the gift of Jesus Christ. And Christian, May we thank the Lord for the structure He has established. And may we get in line and follow Him. He's good. He's gracious. He listens. Oh, my friend, Jesus 
is real. And he wants to be your Savior if you'll call out to him this evening. And just a moment longer as I bring this to a close. Gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, I yield this evening to Thee, and Father, I pray that, Lord, as I preached Your Word, I did so with the right spirit and, Lord, the right countenance and attitude. Father, once again, it's not about trying to establish a superiority over any person or anyone or any institution, but, Father, it's about uh, just being protected from danger, but also, Lord, being in the right soil where I can produce the fruits of righteousness for my blessed Savior. In a day and age when many professing believers are going away from God, we may be asking the question, why is this? And Father, the soil with which they've been planted is soil that's not of Christ. I pray that you'd help us, Father, to be true, to be as we die to our will, take up our cross and follow Christ. That, Lord, we'll just do it your way in the structure and order that you have ordained. The wisdom that you've given. I love you. Thank you for this evening. Help us be found faithful as we go out. I pray as we'll have our fellowship to follow that you bless the food to our bodies. And God, may your name be exalted. I love you. In Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Tonight we do have a fellowship afterwards.